Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show has a sponsor, Cheshire Impact. Wow, I've heard that name before. And this team is on a mission to help you maximize your use of Pardot and Salesforce. Pardot and Salesforce, let's do this. CheshireImpact.com, bam. Now, my guest for today is awesome. So awesome. This is the second time she's been here, an old pro. She has smashed myth left and right. She's got more for us today. And I best describe her as the buyer whisperer. She is a marketplace Yoda. She is all about research and conversations with your buyers, analysis and consulting to understand your marketplaces better. And the reason we're having her here, I will get to. But first, speaker presenter, Harvard Business School, president of Eastsight Consulting, Parmalee Eastman. How are you? Welcome back. I'm just great, especially after that introduction. I love it. Well, Thank I, you. I, I, I had to- being on your show. It's yeah. just been great. Well, welcome back. Welcome the heck back because, <laughs> you know, I, it's all, it's the end of the year. In fact, for us, it's a Friday. If you're listening to this and it's a Wednesday, you're a little late, but you know what? Today can be your Friday. So yes. it's Friday for us and it's the end of the year coming up. The future is there. 2019, we got to get used to having an odd number at the end of our year again. Happens every year or so. <laughs> uh, yes, it does. And it's all about planning for the unknown or maybe even researching and, and, and getting some more intel on the un unknown to be able to make a best plan, you know, as marketers and just as humans. So I wanted to bring you back in here because you had hinted at your, your wizardry skills in terms of you know, your research helps inform your, your decisions in the future. So please, here is again, your old friend, Thor's hammer. Take this hammer and smash a myth for me, for everyone. So uh, a lot of companies cut back during a downturn. That's not what they should be doing. They don't should be, do don't cut back and, and kind of wait in your little corner until the economy improves because somebody else, one of your competitors is probably not doing that. And they're going to be right there to pick up customers during their recession. And as soon as it starts to turn around, let me give you an example. Yeah. Um, there, there's a couple of examples, but one of them is Domino's Pizza. So years ago, during, basically during the last downturn, they did a survey and you know, people kind of thought their pizza crust was just like cardboard and <laughs> their sauce was you know, it like, was the, like cardboard. Yeah, like the glue that you, you know, used to have uh, in grade school. So they did a lot. They spent some money on improving their product. Now, some people still don't like it, but I think it's better than it was then. And then they spent yeah. money on a big campaign that said, hey, we asked you and you told us our pizza crust was like cardboard. Our sauce was like glue. Mm. We, we've improved things. Please give us a try. And they spent some money on promotions as well as on the advertising. And yeah. their sales turned around even while other uh, companies were really seeing sales drop. So they just took the bull by the horn and said, let's do it now. Let's try it. It's not like this was a, a, the highest price good in the market. So right. they could afford, people could afford pizza. They could, they cut back on everything, but they could afford some pizza, especially if they had some kind of incentive and are like, oh yeah, let's try it. And, and then it, it did improve their sales. 
Now a lot of yeah. So that was really that was really smart of them. I mean, there's no reason to hold back on a good campaign if timing is bad. People still spend money. You can actually get more attention because other competitors are not. Now the thing that tech companies. So you look at some of the tech companies, and the ones that have done well are the ones that just keep on investing in in uh, research. So you know Intel. Intel just has to keep cranking out that next generation of chips, and every downturn they just keep cranking, crank, crank, crank. So next that chip. next chip. Yep. Next chip, and uh, that they didn't necessarily invest more, but they certainly invested the same. Right. And then they were ready because their their chip products were ready for the um the turnaround right you know i, I guess it's a natural tendency and and you know we're up here in new england and you know i'm new, specifically new hampshire and it's gotten chilly out it is you know yeah. um, is it almost december we're around the edge november 3rd we're on the edge in a few hours a few hours will be in december it's cold outside and sometimes that natural tendency when it gets cold out is to, you know, get that coat on, kind of bundle up and hide away. Exactly. You know, probably eat bad food, but also hide away and try to stay away from the cold. But at that same time, it sounds like you're saying your competitors are out there disrupting the market, investing in the market, maybe stealing your market share. So you need to be out there doing the same. Yeah. Or they're and doing the same. Be- yeah. <laughs> And this could be actually a better time. They may, they may be staying inside oh. because of the cold. You don't know what they're going to do. And that's one reason, even in a downturn, you've got to take a look at what your competitors are doing. Right. But, but yes, most companies do cut back when the economy is bad. And is it bad? Well, that's a good question. And if I knew the answer, I'd be sitting on a yacht someplace. But there are a couple of leading indicators uh, that suggests that we may be seeing a downturn next year sometime or the start of a downturn. And that's not for sure. It's just too complex to really be yeah. figured out. But it's one of those things that if you're planning for the future, you need to take that into account. Mm. So your planning for next year should always be, I call it, you know, bottoms up, not tops down. and hmm outside in instead of inside out. In other words, I've gone through in a big company planning. Okay, you start with the low levels. What are your customers doing? You ask the salespeople, then you build it up and you build it up and you take it to the the top and then the top doesn't necessarily like it, the top guy. Uh, So we did that once in a downturn and I think we said, we'll grow by like four or 5%. That's respectable. The message came back, no, you're gonna grow by 12%. Um, no, we're not. I mean, it was like we revised all the predictions, all our paperwork, and then we went back to doing exactly what we've been doing before. Uh-huh. So that's why I say bottoms up. Doesn't mean you can't stretch, but you can't just demand. Oh, so, I see what you're saying. And so don't like demanding growth from on high. Yeah, uh-huh. don't just, but see if there's, uh, if you're going to ask for it, for additional growth that doesn't come through bottoms up, then what are you going to do to help those people grow? Right. So there has to be more to it than just quote unquote, a stretch number. Right. So, and I also believe you really need to understand what's going on out there. It starts with the economy. Say you look, economists look at something called 
the inverted yield curve. Ooh, and that's sounds and tricky details, but it basically is looking at the interest rate you get on a two year treasury note versus the 10 year. And when they get close to each other, it's, it's or really when the two year is, is higher, it's called an inversion. And after an inversion, you typically see a recession 12 to 18 months down the road. Hmm. But we had something that was almost an inversion recently. So does that count? And what about this 12 to 18 months? Is it 12 months or 18 months? Yeah, it's true. You know, and well, then the six other- months amongst friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Half okay. a year. <laughs> That's, That's right. crazy. And then the other problem is if you have an inversion, you're going to have a recession, but you can have a recession without an inversion. So I'm just saying that when you start to see potential indicators, you just need to take the possibility into your plan. Okay, well, I got a question. Yeah. Uh, so you can, you can you know, go on the offensive even when it's winter. You know, yes, um, you can. When it's a cold season, you can, you can – maybe your, your competitors are hiding away. You can go on the offensive. And then at the same time, we're saying be aware. Markets can go up and down. So what, what action do you take based on thinking that maybe some things are going to happen, say, 2019? You know, let's say there's a down, yeah. a little bit of a downturn. So how do you prepare for that you know, as a marketer, as a business? I think you still have to, you have to know what's going on because your message and your methodology of, you know, your approach might be a little different. So you might be more inclined to say, um, I got to wait, if you get my software, I can save you money. So you oh. might be more inclined to have, that message instead of a, I can help you grow message. So God. you're almost like I can help you survive because you're going to be more efficient. So it's, you know, you marketeers talk about the, the pain versus gain message, but I think when you're in a downturn turn, you're really going to see an advantage in the, the pain message. Right. You know, things are a little tough out there you know, this, this investment will, you know, save you a lot of money and will help you get through this downturn as opposed to, wow, everything's great, but I can help you grow faster than anybody else. So right. those are simplistic messages. I'm just showing you that. Sure. Sure. It makes sense though. Cause you're, you're saying to someone you're, Hey, we'll, we'll help you grow like gangbusters this year. And they're like, grow. I'm trying not to lose my pants here i'm trying not to have the floor fall underneath me that doesn't make sense to me at all so the economy can inform your messaging that's really interesting and and if if yeah the the belts are tightened or the strings are on the those coin purses are tightened then now it's like hey we can put some money back in that coin purse of yours sir i'll not use the word coin coin purse but we could save you money um, and make this happen it doesn't mean that you're ignoring your regular messages of right. you know, what you do, what your product does, right. but it does mean that you're adding that flavor to it. And you may want to find that um, different channels are more receptive or less receptive or more expensive or less expensive, you know, because, because there is that difference in the demand. So the, the key though is just 
not making a plan and for the year and just like one and done. Okay, I made mm, a plan. Yeah. You have to keep revisiting it. You have to keep looking what's out there, what's going on. And I think that is key because when you really see things change, then you can respond to it. So your plan should almost be a most likely and then have some if this, if that, so that you have some plans in place if you see the economy turning around, starting to grow or starting to drop. And of course, your economy, when I say your economy, I mean, there's the overall economy, but each economy, each downturn seems to hit some industries worse than others. Oh, which ones? Well, remember the dot-com boom? Yep. Oh, that was a real bust. It was. Uh, for technology. Yep, that was a real bust. Yeah. Now then the next big uh, boom was in real estate. Right. And I wasn't, I, I was still in technology and I wasn't affected as much. So now we know, you know, you read the headlines, you know, the auto industry and oh. all their suppliers, they're going to be um, hurting because they're going through a couple of major trans, um, transformations. Auto right now. That's right. I heard so about that. Think about that. That's, that's kind of like, because it's not just the, one auto company laying off 14,000 people. Uh, they've offloaded a lot of their suppliers. So there's probably 14,000 people at suppliers yeah. that are going to get laid off now. So you just double okay. that. I mean, that's a rough. Sure. Then yeah. you think about all the, their suppliers of raw materials. And then you think about all the companies that have been taking care of those auto workers. If you had a Dunkin' Donuts near that Lordstown, Ohio plant, forget it. I mean, so there's this ripple through the communities right. that are around these plants. And hey, this is the way it goes. I mean, we're heading to uh, electric cars and yep. we're heading to cars, as a, you know, the self-driving, uh, yep. taking Ubers instead of owning a car and all that. So yeah. it's just, that's the way it is. It's almost, it's almost independent of the economy at this point, but it's clear that any downturn in, auto purchases are going to hit the auto industry, especially hard since it's already cutting back. So that's just an example of, you can look around and say, oh, that industry, yeah, they're going to be, they're going to be hurt. Right. It tends to be that vertical. Interesting. So great great reminder of the fact that auto has got their thing, but also the idea that the ripple, I mean, I guess I knew that, but you take it for granted. There's, I forget what it is. If you, you know, there's some formula for, you know, each laid off worker that loses X salary, then it, you know, ripples through yeah. setbacks and it does. And so that may not sound like a huge amount, but I think it's going to hit some of those communities pretty hard. Right. And um, so anyway, that's, you see, that's one industry that if people stop uh, cut back on buying cars or actually, you know, there are other car manufacturers that are operating in the U S that are not U.S. brands that are still making sedans and smaller cars. But right. anyway, I'm just saying those brands uh, are going to be hurt. Interesting. That, yeah. that now, I don't know that, I mean, I don't think real, real estate around here in Boston area is kind of softening, but it's it's been so high and so strong and there's so much demand. I don't know that we're going to see a huge crash here. Right. And real estate. Real but estate. anyway, yeah. my point is, then you need to look at your customers and say, okay, how is a downturn going to affect my market? 
Right. Okay. So we, we did economy and that, and that gave us some overall context, maybe looking for ripple effects, looking for tangential things of how it might ripple down to us or to now our customers. Okay. So yeah, let's, what what are we looking at when we're talking about our customers? Well, you know, if you look at, if the auto companies are cutting back now, they're cutting back a brands and they're cutting back certain technologies yeah. so if you're a software company that makes cad cam software they may not need as many licenses so you, you need to think about right. just your the local you know does the cad cam company sell a lot to the auto industry right does it sell to to the construction to the farm equipment industry that's farming is another industry that is, is getting hurt right now uh, and I don't know what's going to happen to that, but I'm just saying you think about where does your technology product go? At least that's what I think, because I deal with technology. Okay. You know, if you're selling to municipalities, um, maybe you don't want to sell to the ones that you don't want to spend a lot of effort in Michigan <laughs> right. because their tax receipts may be hurt. So just true. Okay. think yep. about where yeah. are my customers and where are their customers potentially? So. Just see how a downturn. Uh, I like that. You, my customer's customer. Yeah. Who does your customer sell say, to? Okay. What's going to happen in those states? And I'm just using this as an example. I mean, it's there's other industries like this, sure. but you know, if if you lose a big auto plant, then where are the uh, material? Where are the components plants? Where are the raw materials plants? And you know, where are those? Locate what's going to happen to those locations. So it's right. just an example of thinking through what your customers and their customers' industries. So if you're a CAD CAM software maker, you know it's not it's not just your customer. If your customers don't are going to cut back and not develop as many component parts for the automakers, sure. well, then you got to cut. Back. You got to realize you got to cut back. Or right. one thing you should do then is think about diversifying. Ah, right. Especially so maybe, if your customer, your primary customer base, is in a economy that may get hit or is at risk. Good call. I, and I was yeah. gonna say, you know, the inverse is true as well. If if suddenly GM turns it around and makes an amazing car, not likely, but let's say they do, mm-hmm. um, you know, you need to be thinking, okay, there's gonna be a boom in this particular market. How does that play out for my customers? How does that play out for me? But in this, say in the same way, you know, if there's a downturn in a particular market, how does that affect my customers' customers? Yes. And can I differentiate and work in a different marketplace? Right, right. So we know that, you know, so the whole transportation industry is changing, but there's still a lot of air travel. Right. You know, air, lots, there's been lots of new airlines that are almost like buses in the air. So, you know, maybe looking at airline manufacturers. Now that's right. a global market, but hey, that's one thing to do if you're making CAD CAM software. Again, I'm just picking one sure, area. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that's a potential. The point, the point definitely sticks. And it sounds like this would be one of the main ways that you could in a winter season in a business downturn go on the offensive. We're not necessarily saying on the offensive in that marketplace, the marketplace may be dried up temporarily. It may be in a different marketplace, but like adding that new market might then you might be growing like crazy 
just repurposing and refocusing on that area until the other one improves. That's cool. Right. Of course, there's already probably competitors in there. So you're going to have to figure out what can I offer that's better, but it's worth looking at when your primary market is, is going through a downturn. So I think the other thing Makes to sense. do is you've just got to keep checking on it. Think about you're doing an annual plan, but revisit it every quarter. Right. Take a look and say, okay, what's going, what has changed? You're not really doing it every quarter. You're just saying, hey, what has changed? Is the industry, does my industry and the overall economy look stronger, look weaker? Um, you know, what's been going on? Right. Healthcare, for example, has been up and down and kind of all around because of, um, you know, different uh, opinions out of DC, et cetera. But I'm not getting into politics. I'm just saying that there's, there's different external factors because the, the problem is us baby boomers aren't going away. We're going to be pouring into the health, we're pouring into the healthcare system, especially hospitals, et cetera. So you've got different um, factors operating in different industries. So how do you, how do you take a good point? Yeah. Yeah. You kind of, you're kind of exposing me and opening my eyes to some more of the macro type elements of things that are in play out, out there that could yeah. affect me. And I think maybe I've, I don't, I, my head hasn't been in the sand, but I think I've been sort of narrowly focused on my own sales, even not even thinking about the sales of my customers and, and the markets that they're in. I mean, it's a, it's a, great exercise to be thinking about that exactly exactly I also, I also like that you want to adjust I, I wrote down plan to revisit your plan you know exactly uh, i like that and not you set a you set a goal for the year but in every quarter you're checking in and you're setting quarterly goals so that you know and we do that here you know at our company we we set these yearly goals to hit and then we create quarterly goals that that are in place to reach them and we're able to adjust every quarter and see, you know, what's changing and what's not. Now, adjusting any faster than a quarter typically gives everyone whiplash. So quarters and tempo, you know, and then yeah. reevaluate, see where we need to, you know, maybe focus over here and do a little more marketing here. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, great idea to have that tempo of revisiting your planning. So you're, you're creating a plan and you're saying, this is my most likely scenario, but think about, okay, that may be like, okay, it's 50% likely that it's going to be right down the middle. This is my plan, but maybe it's 25 better, 25% not as good. So you sure. just want to keep in mind, how likely do I think my plan is? And therefore, how much should I be looking at the other alternatives? Scenario planning, that's a whole nother topic. But I'm just saying that thinking about the different scenarios can help you think about what assumptions am I really making? If you're making a plan that says the economy is going to continue the way it is, well, you should probably check that. I feel like I'm getting a class from Harvard Business School. <laughs> you. Uh, and I know this because I'm barely hanging on by my fingertips. Oh, no. Sorry about that. Just No, no, it's not you. I'm, I'm, I'm in it to win it here. But uh, yeah. this is good. I mean, you've you got to challenge your mindsets and expand them. You got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So it just yeah. kind of cool though. I, you know, we're thinking about these different changes. Question on competitors. Does yes. you know, planning for changes in the competitors, I mean, how does research play into that? What's your take? Oh, absolutely. Um, everybody should have essentially a baseline um, profile of their main competitors, the ones they usually see. 
and then I'm going to get into a whole another area in a minute. But you should do that, and you should probably kind of check in monthly. Probably have an alerting service that says, "Hey, if um, if the XYZ company makes a major announcement, send me the press release. Let me see what they're doing. Are they announcing a new product, a new country. You know, we're now expanding into mm-hmm. Western Europe, or you know, we've now got a new office in." Japan. I mean, just whatever it is. And you go, hmm, is there an implication here that I should think about? Or should I just include that in my like quarterly plan? So you want to keep track of your competitors, um, I think, a little more closely than quarterly, but not necessarily watching every move. Now, that's your traditional competitors. But let me talk a little bit about disruptive innovation that's like okay yeah I like there's it. a famous harvard business school professor christensen and he came up with this phrase because he was studying industries and he was finding that you know the big industries in in technology or um you know uh, construction ditch digging i mean they change over time not every five years maybe but maybe every eight to ten years and when you talk about planning you've got people in these companies that are doing all the right things. They're trying to sit down. They're trying to look at the economy. They're trying to look at um, how the company's doing. They're going off and talking to their major customers. They're investing in some new technology. So let's take disk drives as an example. So, you know, the, the companies that were making the platters, you know, the big platters years ago for the disk drive, they went and they talked to their customers and said, well, no, we're all set for these, you know, 12 inch platters. That's what our disk drives need. And that's what our customers need because they're big mainframes. And they said, well, we, you know, we've been developing these smaller platters. No, no, we don't really need them. Thank you. So these guys in the, in the platter business were doing everything right. But what they didn't understand was there was a whole new business ecosystem being built out there. So that technology, a smaller platter and a smaller disk drive could be used with a workstation. Right. So, it, so sometimes you have disruptive technology and it's very rare for a company that becomes an expert in one technology to really move to a radically different technology. Right. That is really hard to do. So over time, it's, you, can, you can get really good at your area of expertise and then you find it's not really wanted anymore because a whole set of products. I mean, you've gone from mainframes to mini computers to workstations to PCs. And and now I got a phone. I got a phone that can do as much as the, you know, can do. Gigantic platters of data and it's all on your phone now. Uh, Yeah. I don't even need my camera anymore. I don't need my watch. I mean, think of all the, kind of the industries that have been disrupted by that smartphone. So if you think about that, and uh, I know that there was some question a few years ago, what's, what, what device is going to become dominant? Well, it's pretty clear. It's the smartphone now. Sure. So that's kind of a longer term issue that you have to think about as a company. It's, it's hard to kind of see where that technology change is, but it's, Part of understanding your market is not to look at your current direct competitors, but to look at 
Mm, what could be your competitor? Yeah. What could be your competitors? Clay Christensen talks about the steel industry, which, you know, I know a lot of your listeners aren't necessarily in the steel industry, but, you know, you had these big mills, sure. huge mills that were, they were very volume oriented. And then somebody developed a mini mill and, but the quality wasn't as good. So the owners of the big mills said, ah, so what? But they were fast and there were certain applications where a lower quality product ah. was, and you could put it closer to the customers because you could build five mini mills instead of one big one, one big and one. you could lower the cost of transportation. Okay. So then the mini mills took some of the business away from the big, the big mill companies and then they got better and then more mini mills. So then you kind of ended up, the big steel companies ended up losing a lot of their customers mm -hmm. to a sure. different way of making steel which sounds kind of funny, but yeah, it just, if you're depending on, on huge volume and somebody else can, can do lower volume and locate it right next to the customer, then there's a real advantage there. Right, right, so right. There's that whole theory and it's, it's, you need to look out for um, disruptive technology and disruptive business practices. You know mm. how the whole industry went from on-prem systems to True. subscription. Yeah, in the cloud, at, yeah. In the cloud, everything's in the cloud now. I mean, not everything is in the cloud because if you've got legacy, I mean, a lot of companies do, um, but everything new is in the cloud. I wonder what will be that kind of disruption for marketing automation and, and Salesforce. If anything, so I'm trying to like apply this own this this whole principle of things are changing, um, like like Cheshire Impact. We're the top part up partner, but yes. that that that's cool. But that all, all that means is that you know we have to be aware and we can't be set in our ways that we're the big exactly. steel mill. I don't want to be the big steel mill. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I'll let Blue Wolf do that. <laughs> yeah, I want to yeah. be. I want to be the mini mill and the big. And the big mill. I want to be all the mills. Exactly. You want to yeah. think about, well, what am I doing? Is there somebody out there that's doing something different that seems to be really attractive? And that's a good question on marketing automation because right now, marketing automation, as I've seen it, has gotten, there's a lot of functionality out there, but no one's really putting it together in a good, attractive package right now users still have to pick the packages and put all the information together. And I think a simpler way of doing that for the customer is, is going to be what we'll see next. Interesting. But that's simpler. Yeah. Except yeah. that, you know, it's, it's still like what's simpler for the customer, what customers still have different needs. So right. I'm not ready to sit here and predict, you know, that it's going to be just, one total package but i think you will see consolidation because it's just too much money and too much trouble yeah i mean one of the reasons you go to the cloud and have a subscription service is that you know somebody else is taking care of a lot of the headaches right you know so sure. all you have to do is use the software That's i don't right. have to worry about backup and you know all that right. kind of stuff even me i'm everything's in the cloud so but companies different in, different in what they need. So there may be multiple suppliers there, but I think you'll see a, a fewer suppliers over time in marketing automation. And that's 
partially because companies, some of the companies that, you know, buy other companies like Oracle. I mean, have they bought a company this week? No. Jeez. What's wrong? It's Friday already. Yeah, right. You know, I'm just joking, but. No, it's true. Yeah. I mean, Oracle but, bought Marketo. So. Yes. Yes, they did. So I think you're going to see. Um, crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. But they, they think that's. Wait, no, was it Oracle? No. Who bought Marketo? Um, because um, Oracle has Eloqua. Yes. Oh, Adobe. Uh, it was Adobe, I think. Yes. Yes, you're right. I'm, I'm not, you know, keeping track. So, yeah, so some yeah. of the bigger players are, you know, inching into the. They are. Yeah. Yeah. So you get for marketing automation, you're going to see consolidation. I agree. Because if they can integrate these packages together, which I haven't seen, you know, in the market really yet, then that's a real benefit to, right. to customers. Cause again, they just want it done. Yeah. You know, they just, they want to do what is their core competence and not deal with software and, you know, maintaining it, et cetera. And like worried about um, when somebody starts says, well, this data is in this form and you have to integrate it with that form, that data. I'm like, eh, cause right. I'm basically more of a marketing sales research person. I, I don't want to worry about the nitty gritty like that. Yeah. Data, so you're going to see that. Yeah. And that's, I think that'll be, make it easier for marketing automation. Um, I agree. Well, everyone has their, their big brother now. I mean, Pardot has Salesforce. Marketo yeah. finally has a home. I thought Mark, Microsoft might buy them, but that was Adobe. And yeah. Oracle has Eloqua. The CRM exactly. has a marketing tool. So you have marketing connected all the way into CRM. So you get that full picture and ROI. So yeah, HubSpot made its own CRM. Why not? Exactly. Um, well, yeah. if you, yeah, it's there being able, now we have the computer power, et cetera, to manipulate that data so you can really take more advantage of it. And that's going to be a competitive weapon for right. the, their customers. If you don't have a complete um, solution, it's going to be more difficult to compete because they don't want to do it themselves, do the integration themselves. Right. So anyway, that's, that's, one of the things that you need to be using those tools and kind of set up some reports that can show you what's going on out there. Yeah. So from your own data, right. you know, are, are you seeing any um, dip in a particular, a big dip in a strong customer? Are you seeing a certain industry start to dip, mm. you know, figure out, you know, use, set up those reports and kind of just see what's happening there. Cause those are good in internal indicators for you. Interesting. So the, the work we're doing, um, cause we talked on the last time we chatted about buyer personas and really understanding your buyer based on win loss. And if we're doing all the work anyways, to get the research, why not, yeah. why not slip in questions around the future or slip in just, signals to keep track yep. of changes so and, and not just doing that buyer research once every 10 years because your your customer may change actual well that's right change and spread everything it. yeah yeah spread it do it regularly do a right. few customers every quarter and kind of see what's new right see if you're got a new competitor in there 
see if you have, you're not seen as much of an older competitor. See if there's some new functions that are being talked about. Yeah. Yeah. See where you're, you know, just keep your finger on your, your, the pulse of your customers. Right. I just think that's a good way of doing that. It's just an organized way of doing it. I know every company I've been to, they talk to customers, but they don't necessarily do it in an organized fashion. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily make sure they're talking to a range of customers. Right. And they don't talk enough to non-customers. That's the biggest thing that they need to do. Huh. Well, yeah. Why would you, you know, how would you have a regular relationship with a, with a non-customer? But that's really important to understand potential customers, essentially, that aren't buying your product. Yeah. Why didn't they? Yeah. Why didn't they? That's why you get into the win-loss. Right. And that's why it's important to do both. But having that win-loss program gives you the information and helps you be able to evaluate every quarter what's going on and what you should be looking at and, and mm. you know, can't yes. ignore some little guy. Now I'm not saying to pay attention to this little guy who's gotten one or two deals. Sure. But you might want to just take a little look and see what's, going on what's cooking yeah yeah see what's cooking to see if that's somebody that could be growing up and to take more of your of your market share sure yeah sure so i think that that's one of one of the things that this regular external looking externally can do Mm, right so what you want to actually one question you can ask uh in these win losses that i haven't really asked that much but What's going on in your marketplace? So if you ask your customers. Oh, I see what you, yeah. Asking them so, specifically about their marketplace. Yeah. Actually, that, that would be another good indicator because they could yeah. say, yeah, my industry is really strong right now or, or yeah, I'm seeing sales increase um, a lot because I have a new product. I mean, just that would be, a, that would be really helpful in terms of, I just, just, just thought of that. Hey, this is great. I just yeah. thought of that as we were talking. Boom. Now that's a question to ask when that you're doing win loss. Yeah. You know, you're how's not. How's your just, market? Yeah. How's your market doing? Yeah. Yeah. You have a collective chart of the markets of all your customers. Yes. Yep. And you can understand then what's driving them. I mean, you always ask them, why are you looking to, to make this purchase? You right. want to see what's, what's their pain point that's driving them to make a change in how they operate by, you know, implementing Salesforce. Right. Argot, you know, so, but asking them what's the more general question is, how's your industry doing? It would be another layer on that. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that would be interesting. That would be interesting. Yeah. What do you think's cooking for 2019? I think there's- keep our eyes on? Keep our eyes on, well, the stock market's been going up and down and up and down. And that's kind of generally considered a leading indicator. Oh, yeah. Not 100%. And we're, but we're also seeing interest rates rise. That's kind of causing the real estate market to slow down somewhat. Okay. So there's a ripple effect there with construction uh, companies and then building materials. Uh, so that's one thing to look at. So I see some of the basic industries having um, not necessarily a, a really good year next year. That, but that's just my guess. I'm not. True. 
necessarily looking at that, but we have had one of the longest upturns in our history. So, mm. so that's one of the reasons that people are being trying to be careful for next year. Right. Because they're saying, hey, what's going on? And I think that it's going to be harder for the Federal Reserve to control it because we already have a fairly big deficit as a country. So you can't do deficit funding. Uh, okay. So, you know, remember when the, when the depression hit, that was Herbert Hoover and he didn't really want to, uh, he was like, well, then we need to cut back because tax revenues are going to cut back. So then FDR said, uh, yeah, we need to get people working. We need right. to get the opposite. money in pockets so people can eat and they yeah. can, you know, and, and so whole different approach, a lot of deficit funding then, but you know, it worked, helped a lot of people. So I'm just saying that there's, there were some tools that we'll see if we can use in the next uh, downturn, but I'm kind of going high level, you know, yeah, high level, high level, immediate level, high level. I'm just saying, saying, you know, you get as a business person, you kind of get involved in your day-to-day -day routine. And I'm just saying, take a deep breath and look up and just say, what's going on from the bigger picture? And how is that going to affect me? How is that going to affect my customers' customers and therefore my customers and therefore me? What do I have to do if I see that uh, the economists are predicting a, a lower gross national product? Sure. It doesn't mean that, oh, my business is going to be hurt. But just kind of think, how would that affect me? Sure. Not every day, but just kind of keep it in mind. And then as you do your quarterly updates, kind of see what's going on among your customer and your customer's customers. Yeah. So like you said, you don't have to do it every day, but when it comes to no. planning for 2019, it's something to keep in mind. Your customer's customers. Take a deep breath. Yeah. Look up. Look around you. Don't just be focused. Tunnel vision on and what you're selling, but look at the market around you and your market's market. Look at that too. Exactly. But keep sense. close track of your competitors. That's always the rule because you need to see what, what they're doing. Are right. they, you know, are they trying to expand new? I mean, that's just always what you do. New products. Um, are there any, anything, um, up, Maybe are they making an acquisition? Speaking about technology companies making acquisitions, or maybe there's a combination there. And what's going to happen with that? Would that make your competitor stronger? Mm. Would there be you know additional people to sell it? Additional right. channel? I mean, channel penetration for some reason. So as you say, some of these combinations make particular competitors stronger because you're leveraging off the base of software that a Oracle or a Adobe or Microsoft has. So that could make a competitor much stronger if they get acquired by one of those companies. Sure. Yeah. Huh. And well, this is great. I've been, you know, thinking about my, my mind's all in the clouds now, literally. Yeah. It was, it was kind of interesting because a lot of companies kind of went from on-prem and it's a subscription. And I said, well, how am I going to make up the money? And, you know, there were some companies um, that just charged the same amount for subscription as they did for, um, you know, a year. For on-prem, yeah. 
Yeah, kind of like almost a year of maintenance. So they up their maintenance prices, and then they said, "Here's your subscription price." So <laughs> just moved customers over. So it wasn't a right. big. And I was like, "Oh, because the disruption can be technological, or it could be on a business basis." Right. So it's managing that transition that is, you know, the key to looking at 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 keeping track of these changes and doing that planning. I like it. I like yeah. it. It's challenging sure, to think that way, but go ahead. So then uh, the other thing you need to think about is how, you know, you need to get the whole company together on its planning so that yeah. if you're planning, you know, I mean, every part of the company needs to be working on the same set of goals. Right. Some of the best managers I've heard about have been really good about kind of setting a goal and getting everybody in the company to work together towards that goal. And that means like your manufacturing people or your, you know, your development team, you know, a lot of software companies of course don't have manufacturing, but the, right. your software team, um, your customer service, sales, marketing, you know, channel partners, just kind of all on the same page and working together to whatever that goal is and then understanding that you're going to take a look at it every quarter. Right. Right. And ideally you get everyone's collective thinking about that bigger picture and yeah. you're all thinking about the, the, the markets of your market. And yeah. 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 And wow. one of my, one of my classmates at, um, at was at and to it and they were like, yeah, customer service complaints are great. What? It's free market research. You don't have to go out <laughs> and find it. They tell you what's, what your product needs yeah and and i was like boy i never thought of it that way but you know that's that's exactly right yeah so you know don't think just you have to go outside all the time sometimes the outside comes to you and pay attention to that pay attention to when that yeah it's a good tip to pay attention to those customer service complaints yes that's where you can improve in the marketplace yeah they're telling you exactly what you need to do they say, well, it takes too long to implement this. It takes, I don't understand your material isn't, isn't understandable. Right. You know, just things like that. Or why can't I do this? So that's, that was great to have that. So I'm just saying, keep, keep looking for sources of information that you can use as you do your market planning to kind of input into it. Market planning isn't something that a small group does. And then it's like, okay, one and done. You have to keep looking at it. You, you have to get input from a lot of people. Right. Different perspectives. So it, that yes. you exclude your own personal bias to the situation. That's right. A, device, a diverse group is actually better at coming up with a solution than uh, a, a group with uh, too many people who are alike. Yeah. Because they don't challenge each other. Right. They're all like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, 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 I agree. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, and then we could do this, and they just sp- spin off on the thing. And you, a little healthy pushback can really refine what you're doing. Exactly. Like, well, wait a minute. Does How much is this going to cost? And, you know, how effective is this going to be? And what have you done in terms of, you know, preparing the market for it? I mean, that's, right. I think that's some of the greatest, uh, those internal discussions. Sure. Can keep you from making some major mistakes. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I used to 
uh, like naysayers really bothered me because I'm all about that energy of that idea and naysayers are just so annoying when they, they shoot holes in your thing and it's just, ugh. but I learned over time. And then also uh, Dan Sullivan with strategic coach has a, a great book and tool on it called the strategy circle. And what's cool about this, this it, basically it's a strategic planning tool, but it involves the naysayers. In fact, it highlights yeah. them. And so you start out with where you're at, where you want to go, what would success look like? You know, what's that going to feel like? What's all the good stuff. And when you get to this end result, why is that important? Great. And then it says, okay, what could get in the way of us getting to that? Like, what are all the things that would go wrong? Uh, yeah. What are all the things that would prevent us from getting to that goal? And you list them out on this page. Uh, but what's crazy is just to the right of that list are your strategies to, to address those. So, well, oh. no one's trained enough, so we're not going to do it. Or, okay, so we need to develop training. Exactly. To do X. Okay, what else? Well, pricing is too complicated. Okay, we need to simplify pricing, right? So, you, you let the naysayers go crazy, but then proactively you assign these strategies, these to-dos, or these projects exactly. to address it. And so what's crazy is the naysayers become the creators of eventually what to becomes a strategy for fixing it. And it's just like this it's it kind of judo flips it around. They're like, oh, this, this will never work because of X. You're like, great. What else do you have? I'm writing it down. What else would prevent this from working? Because that's about to become your to-do for next quarter, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So then it's much better thought out and, you know, and you go into the market. So I work with my, this researcher and she, Betsy, she, she's never met a detail she didn't like. Oh, and I'm nice. like, okay. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh yeah. Okay. But you know what? Then she gets all these details straight and customers love her because I'm trying to be a bigger picture, but you got to have both. So yeah. we're a good team and I think we recognize that. So again, it's like you need those differences mm. to produce a better product. So yes, you need the naysayers yeah. that say, what about this and that? I think you know, that's a really good point. And it's really important to have, there's companies that assign people to do that. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually companies. So they'll say, hey, Casey, you know, the Pardot wants to do X, but we want you to be part of a team and, and, and tell us why we shouldn't do it. <laughs> nice. I mean, official, they really do assign yeah, people. Like a red team or someone. To like a, yeah, like a red team. Yeah. And just say, because if you, if, you know, you can get through that, then you got a really good idea. Right. It really makes sense. You've thought it through much better. So that's why it, this tops down market planning doesn't really work because you really need to have more input than somebody on top saying, I think this is what we should do. Right. The best managers, the best, most successful managers listen to the people, you know, and, and kind of take in a lot of information and then you know, use, be able to assimilate that. And that's a rare skill, but still that's my point is bring in information from a lot of different areas, think through the implications and you'll be much better able to respond to the market and whatever the market does. Absolutely. Lots of lots of companies are going to do well in the next downturn, and you want to be one of them by being prepared for it and, and seeing where there are opportunities. 
Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me, you know, the, the red team and that internal, I was reading a book in this Navy SEAL book and, and they had a facility down in Rhode Island, actually. I don't know if the Jocko, this was in Jocko's leadership book or if it was another one, um, but they had a red team. It was, he was like famous for this. Um, lots of trouble. This is red teams are horrible for politics or um, the, the whole goal was to see, you know, how vulnerable is this sub base in, I don't know if it was Rhode Island, just right yeah, around that area. Right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. So it was like infiltrate this sub base. Go ahead. See if you can do it. Right. Yeah. And there were obviously four sides to the square, four sides to the base. But one of those sides was this like cliff. Right. Yeah. So no one would ever want to go down a cliff. So, or come up a cliff. I don't know which direction it was. So it was like not guarded really at all. And, yeah. And so, they sort of just, I don't know, they climbed it and they climbed down it or whatever they did. And there they got into the base. They took over everything. They're like, well, you can't do that. You came down the cliff. And they're like, what in the rules says that, like, oh, we're going to put rules around testing now, uh, you know, about around the, the situation here. And so it's helpful having that other, I mean, his whole job, to your point, there are people with their job is to poke holes in things. But if you judo flip that, use a strategy circle, or that kind of an idea, that becomes immeasurably valuable because they're either exposing the hole in your security or the hole in your strategic plan to grow next year. Exactly. I mean, you know, in that kind of situation, there's no rule that you're going to tell the enemy, Hey, you can't come down this cliff. Yeah, sure. So I've, I've done some projects and uh, we actually do this as a, Oh really? Offerings. Uh, you, You know, we'll have a company come to us and say, okay, you try and get in us, get into us. So I had a company that was building, it wanted to overhaul its manufacturing, big, big spending. And they were looking at all their competitors and seeing the best practices. And they said, well, we want to test how good the CI is. So we'll have somebody look at us. So we did it. Right. And obviously only a few people knew that we had been hired to do this. We just went through our normal kind of networking our way in and asking a question and just sort of say, that's really interesting. Yeah. And then, you know, oh, okay, I'll tell you more, you know, kind of thing. Right. So I've never had, uh, you know, some of my researcher says, do I make them happy? I said, you make them unhappy. You make them very unhappy. I never had such unhappy clients. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, we, well, we found out, blah, 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 blah. And I get silence. They were just like so shocked at what we could find out. They, they just didn't, didn't think. Well, the, the worse the news is, the better you can improve on it. And exactly. I found we that book. Sh- it was called Red Cell. And it was Red Cell? Richard yeah. Mar- uh, Marcinko, I think. Marcinko, Marcinko. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an important part to play. I, what you're mentioning with your researcher yeah, and her type of approaching details. Have you ever done a Colby? Or heard what's of Colby? A, what's that? It's like a it's in the category of personality test, but it's not personality. Uh, it's essentially instead of cognition or personality, it's cognition. Um, oh, you mentioned it before, yeah. but, and I no, I haven't. I yeah, still haven't. Getting, but. I'll get, get you a link. I'm going, as I mentioned, I'm going to uh, Phoenix to get certified in it so we can wow, do it for the whole team. Be, yeah. Yeah. We've so far, we, just the leadership team has done it and but we want to have everyone be able to do it. And it really helps because, um, you know, people on my team 
thankfully are high in the details where maybe I'm not high in the details. I'm, I'm middle in the details. Yeah. Low yeah. middle. And so um, I like summaries usually. And uh, there's thankfully people on the team that go to the nth degree to make sure they've looked at that detail to make sure it's good. And like you balance each other out. If someone gets exactly. detail crazy, I go, Hey, bring it back, bring it back. What's the summary? You know, at the same time I could make a quick summary and uh, I think we maybe need a little more details before we make a call here. Okay. And there it's like a nice balance. Um, and it's, you know, it's the idea of fact finding the follow through, how much planning do we need? And I think a lot of times marketers are, are low in the planning. I know I am. And so it helps just even think about it and just think about your thinking about why you haven't done a plan yet. It's okay. If it's not your thing, at least want to get some things on paper so you can start, um, you know, heading it out in advance. Um, and I, yeah, I yeah. think I tend to go, okay, I'm just gonna, this has worked before. I'm just going to do it. And I really, yeah. I Me should too. do more planning myself and totally, totally just, so I, I know how to do it because I get hired to do it. I mean, so I'll get hired right. by somebody who says, we got to do a plan for next year and we really need to look at this market or we need to look, we need to understand this competitor better and what they're planning to do. Sure. So. I often provide input into, you know, strategic plans or the, the whole marketing planning process. And I think that's important to, yeah. to look at the outside and say, what's really going on? Sure. Do you do any personal planning? Get any goals for next year? I do. Get my kids to college. Yeah? Yeah. They right on the, right on the cusp? Yes, they are. And one daughter's been accepted by a couple of colleges. Ooh, congrats. Yeah, that's what or I said. Or not, depending on how expensive that school is. Well, <laughs> uh, well, a lot of schools are offering, you know, scholarships up front. Sure. You know, Good. Help up front. We have to take a look at it. But you know what it did? It lowered her anxiety. It's like, okay, I have a college to go to that's fine. Right. Not maybe my top school, but it's fine. I'm going right. to college. You know, that first acceptance. And my other daughter is still like, I'm like, well, when do you want to go visit them? Well, I don't know. So I have to work on that. Yeah. So that's, that's my big plan uh, for next year. And I need to be quite busy because I'm going to need to pay for it. You're going to need to pay for all that school. Yeah. All that school. But you know, Hey, that's, that's good. It's good. So I've got this, kind of planned for the year of what nice. I'm going to do. And uh, right now I'm pretty busy, which is great. Yeah. That's outstanding. Yes. Um, I think yeah, but, on my list, I've got, I've got some biggies. Like I want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I want to run a half marathon. Uh, I do want to learn how to juggle though. I think that would be fun. I think that would be fun. It'd be cool to just pick up three things and juggle them. Random, yes. You know, I think that'd be a good life skill to have, especially for me. Yes. <laughs> so if the podcast ever gets anyway. boring, right? We're just like, uh, okay, da, 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 da. You start juggling, you know. That's what you do as a manager and a you know business owner. You just you hey, juggle a lot of things and kind of like metaphor. how much time do I spend here and what yeah. do I pay attention to? And I think it's important sometimes to step back and just think. Sure. At a higher level and kind of think well, how that's going to affect me. And then just go do things, make a plan, then start working it. You're right. My, my quick start's going, oh, I can learn how to juggle and then figure out how that metaphor relates to business. <laughs> yeah. There's a book. Well, no, I, 
Business juggling. Business juggling. Yep. Yep. But I think you have to juggle more than three things then. True. True. A couple more. A couple more things. Yep. Well, this has been fun. Uh, you know, it's, it's great to chat again and especially getting it in before the new year. You have challenged me and my mindset, getting me to think about macro concepts of, I think the key takeaway I had was like my clients' clients. How yes. are they doing? And, and of, of course, do the research, not only for your own buyer personas, but just on your understanding and informing your quarterly planning and understanding where you need to move and respond to the marketplace. But just slipping that little question in there about asking your customers about their market. What are they seeing? How's it looking? Shows you care. And it also gives you that insight. I like it. Yeah, no, that's, I should add that to more win loss that I do. Do it. it Call it the case. We've talked about it. (laughs) We kind of developed that good idea together. Which yeah. is great. Yeah, you have to you have to come back and let me know how it goes and what kind of data you see when, when you start asking them that, you know? We'll do. We'll do. Cool. Cool, cool. Anyway, well, this has been fun. Yeah, thanks again. And you know, thank you and then everyone for listening. Thank you for listening and uh tuning in. Uh we're coming up on the new year and so hopefully you got some, you know, challenging, albeit challenging things, but you know, it's better to get comfortable being uncomfortable and in fact your plan so all right having a plan for it makes you going to make you do much better and feel much better about it oh yeah oh yeah totally 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 totally. all right well thank you for having me on it's really been fun i i enjoy it totally i'm not on a totally loop so i gotta get out of here um thank you and then everyone listening thank you for listening this has been the hardcore marketing show We'll see y'all next time.